I'm really, really honored to be here again. I've, uh, over the last seven or eight years, been able to speak here um, fairly often, maybe almost once a year or so, and um, this place has been very, very special to us. Um, and so uh, I've said this before, I said it last time I was here, Pastor Darren really took a chance on me. I had preached maybe only twice in my life the first time I came and preached here. And, uh, and so over the years now, I've been able to come back and preach. And although my preaching has not improved, uh, my disappointment in my own preaching has lessened over the years. Um, you just get used to it. And uh, so, um, but I love this place. Um, my, my wife, we literally just moved into our house in Austin. And uh, my wife has some family coming in today to visit, so she's disappointed that she couldn't be here. Uh, I enjoy preaching, but we really love coming and spending time with Pastor Darren and Dana and Gabe, and, and just, uh, it's always been a blessing to us. Um, we love, love being here. Uh, the worship is always so special to us. Um, I was complimenting Pastor Barry um, in the previous service, and after the service, he offered me $20, so I'm going to step it up this service and really sing his praises and see how much I can get out of him. Um, so uh, we just love, love being here. And so thank you for having us again. Um, this is a great church in, in a great area. And, and we love you guys. We pray for you. And so please keep praying for us as we uh, step out in this journey of planting. Um, you may already know about this. Um, uh, a couple months ago, my family went through a very difficult time uh, right in the midst of me closing on my house um, here in the Metroplex and, and trying to move uh, my, my father, who is the senior pastor of Gateway Church in Southlake. Um, he had had double hernia surgery. The surgery went, went really well. Everything was looking really good. He was home recovering, and about six days after the surgery, uh, he began to feel very weak, ended up passing out. My mom called 911. Uh, the paramedics came. They thought he was dehydrated. They gave him an IV, and then they left. Uh, it ended up getting worse and worse. She called them again when they came back out. Um, he uh, did not have a pulse, and um, they could not register any blood pressure. And they realized then that they needed to care flight him to the hospital. Uh, he was taken by, by, by care flight ambulance to the hospital, and they discovered that he was bleeding internally. Uh, he went into emergency surgery. They removed a cantaloupe-sized blood clot in his body, and, uh, and everything looked like it was uh, good and on the mend. And then his health started declining again, and they discovered that there was actually two, uh, uh, two places where he was bleeding internally. Um, he went through four surgeries in one week time. Uh, he lost over half of the blood in his body. He was given six units of blood, uh, four units of platelets, and um, uh, two units of um, uh, plasma. And so uh, it was a very difficult time. He spent four days in ICU. Uh, at one point um, on the day that he was bleeding very badly, uh, he, he recorded a video for all of the kids who, um, I was out of town at the time, wasn't able to make it there until after um, or towards his final surgery. And uh, so it was a very, very difficult time for us. Um, we are so grateful that today he's doing excellent. Um, he is uh, really getting his strength back, feeling great. Everything is going really, really well. We're so grateful for that. Uh, uh, yeah, thank you. And um, when, uh, when he went into the hospital, um, they asked me to preach that weekend at Gateway. 
And so um, I, I was going to the hospital every day and then going home and studying and preparing. And I was struck during that time with the outpouring of love that we experienced from the body of Christ. Uh, churches all over the world sent messages saying we're praying. In Guatemala, they held a prayer service specifically to pray for him, and 8,000 people showed up to pray. Um, on social media and Facebook, over 300,000 people actually wrote in saying we are praying for him. And so we just saw this outpouring of love from the body of Christ. And I was preparing the message that I was going to preach that weekend. And I thought, isn't that really the message of the Bible? Isn't that really the message of the Bible is love? And, and, and isn't it true then that we have a calling to impart love to the ones who we are around. That when, when Christ said that the most important commandment, or to sum up the entire Bible and all of the law and everything, is to love God and love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? It's whoever you can reach, whoever is within your grasp. And that's really what we're called to do, is to love others. And so I started then preparing this message, and that's the message that I want to share with you today. And love is more than words. Love is not just something that we say. Some, it is love has to be expressed. If you were to simply just say that you love someone and never do anything about it, your love would not be believable in any way. The truth is, though, that love is always expressed. It, it must be acted out. Something must be done. And so then we, as Christians, have a responsibility, a calling, a, 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 a mandate from God to love others. It is what He has called us to do. And so that's what I want to talk to you about. I'm going to go through um, three different areas that teach us that love actually uh, goes through the whole Scriptures. And uh, I, these three points, I'll tell them to you, they sound very random right now, but I'm hoping that by the end of the message they make sense. The first is the exile, the second is the blood sacrifice, and the third is the mission. And I've used these sort of Old Testament terms, the exile and the blood sacrifice, because what I want to do is take us all the way back to the beginning and see this concurrent theme of love that travels all through Scripture. And that story is not done being written today. The Bible is done being written today, but the story of God's love and us acting that love out is not done. So we want to dive into this and take a look at, at what we're talking about. Let me say this, though, before I start on this. As soon as I start talking about the blood sacrifice, uh, your mind is going to want to go to salvation. We obviously know that when Jesus died on the cross, it was the price that he paid on the cross that allows us to receive salvation, which then gets us into heaven. That is an amazing and wonderful thing. But I want you to try to separate for a moment that what I'm talking to you today about is not about salvation. So as soon as the problem is in church, we've been very, very focused on salvation, as soon as someone begins to talk about works, we go, no, uh-uh, works don't have anything to do with salvation. True, but I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about what we were called by God to do here on earth. So all of these things, we're going to talk about the death, the resurrection of Christ, all these things we want to separate from salvation for just a moment because it wasn't just our salvation that took place in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There was much more that took place in that moment, and it frees us and opens us up to a world of possibilities that God has laid out for us. So let's go through these individually um, for just a moment. The first is the exile. 
the exile. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but the exile is something that we all experience. It's easy whenever you go back maybe and read the Old Testament. It's very hard to understand what the Egyptians went through in uh, uh, the Israelites in, in living in slavery and uh, to the Egyptians and, and what they were experiencing and then the freedom that they experienced in the Exodus and, and, and what they were experiencing in their exile as slaves. It's maybe sometimes hard for us to, to relate to what was happening in the Old Testament. The truth is, though, that we are all in exile. Again, it's not about salvation. Uh, Of course, we are born into exile, and we need a Savior to bring us back into right standing with God. But you, you travel in and out of exile all through your Christian walk. It isn't just about salvation because we we move in and out of exile constantly through our lives. And if we can't realize that we are in exile, then we can't realize that we need a savior to help get us out of exile. If you're not willing to go to the place to realize I am in exile in the moment, then you're also not not in that place willing to say, God, save me from this place. And so we first need to realize that we also experience exile, that, that, that we have been placed in exile sometimes, and then sometimes we choose to go into exile or we place ourselves into exile. Exile isn't necessarily always bad. There's a lesson to be taught in exile. You could choose to, to place yourself in exile so that you experience the things that, that God has called you to experience. And exile is actually all through Scripture. Um, in fact, uh, when we think of exile, maybe we think first and foremost of the Israelites in their slavery, but the truth is that exile started long before that. Let me show it to you at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, verse 23. It says, So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed a mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. That was the first exile. That was the first exile of man, of man being uh, exiled out of the place where, where, where they were and experiencing that separation from God. And, and we've been trying then to get back in the garden ever since then. We imagine then the garden as being this place of, of, of a perfect freedom and nothing ever w- hurt or went wrong. There was no pain. There was no suffering. There was no depression. There was none of these things. It was perfect, this perfect place. And if we could just get back to the garden, if we could just get back to the garden, get back to that place. And so then we long for heaven and there's nothing wrong with longing for heaven. But what we need to realize is that this earth is not the waiting room for us to get to heaven. There is a mission and a calling for us right here in this place and in this time. We are called to accomplish something. God has called us to this place in this moment in time. And so we have to understand then that although we may feel like because we're not back in the garden that we are in exile, there is something that God has for us in this place, something that God wants to teach us here in this place. Everyone has been through exile. When the Israelites were in exile, they were in slavery to the Egyptians. Jonah was in exile when he was in the belly of the well as a consequence of his disobedience. The people who were building the Tower of Babel were in exile after trying to build a tower all the way to heaven. Joseph was in exile when his brothers sold him into slavery and faked his death. David was in exile when he was hiding from Saul who sought to kill him. And Christ himself was in a form of exile when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ even chose to go on a journey of exile by sending himself into the forest for 40 days and 40 nights to fast 
He took himself out of the situation that he was in in order to live in the moment of exile to become closer to God. And so exile is a part of each and every one of our lives. And in order to get out of exile, what is necessary is traditionally a blood sacrifice. So that leads us to the next point, which is the blood sacrifice. Now, again, I know I'm using Old Testament terms here, the blood sacrifice. I'm not going to go into detail of what the blood sacrifice was. Um, So if you have a weak stomach, you don't have to worry. Um, I'm normally okay with blood, but when my dad was in the hospital, they like missed a vein and it went bad and backfired and blood was squirting out of his arm. And me and my brother were in the room and it was so gruesome. We laid our heads, this is a true story, on the hospital floor because it was cold and it kept us from passing out. That's how manly and awesome we were in that moment. (laughs) And so I'll stay away from the gory details, but the truth is the blood sacrifice is what took them out of exile. And and so then you you have in this time, this moment, that the blood sacrifice is intimately connected for the Israelites, intimately connected to the Passover. The Passover is the, the celebration of them coming out of exile and, 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 and then being set free by, by God's work. And part of that work was the blood sacrifice. And so we understand that the, the lamb, the lamb's blood, things like that were used in this moment to celebrate Passover. Passover to this day is still celebrated by Jews. And Jesus's death corresponded with Passover. So we know that Jesus' death corresponded to the feast of Passover, and the Bible says that Jesus was the Passover lamb. Here's what we need to understand about Passover, though. Passover was not the celebration of the remission of sins. Now, that may be part of it. It may be connected to that, but the primary purpose of celebrating Passover, which perfectly coincided with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, was not about the remission of sins. That is not what the lamb was for. Now, is that still accomplished? Yes, absolutely. Is that where we get our salvation from? Yes, absolutely. But what we need to catch is that if we only look to the cross as the point of salvation, we miss the myriad of other things that are happening there in that moment. Passover was the celebration of God setting his people free. Free to what? Go to heaven? No, to live out the calling that God had placed on their life here on earth. That is the celebration of Passover. If we just think of it as the remission of sins and we just think of it as salvation, it is those things, but it is about much more than that. It is about us being set free to walk out the calling that God has placed on our lives. We are set free by the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're set free to be able to walk out that calling. That is the sacrifice that the Passover lamb made for us. So, the, the death and burial and resurrection of Christ is intimately connected to Passover. We know that. We see it all through Scripture. Christ is called the Passover lamb. But I would like to propose to you today that it is actually also intimately connected to creation, to the very beginning, to God creating the earth. And I think this can be found in John chapter 20. I'm not going to read the specific verses, but I'd like you at some point this week to go back and read through John 20 and watch for yourself the corresponding. There are even many more than what I'll list for you right now, but the corresponding ways that John 20 equates the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and he equates it all the way back to creation. 
The first starts right at the beginning of John 20, verse 1. It says, in the beginning. That's how he starts his gospel in John, in the beginning. That is also how Genesis starts, in the beginning. And so there's a nod back to creation right there, right from the very beginning. And then I want us to remember then that in the, in the sixth day of creation, the sixth day of creation, that is when God makes man and places his image into man. Okay, in John chapter 20... On the sixth day of the week is when Pontius Pilate brings Jesus in front of the crowd and says, here is the man who claims to be God. Now, Jesus, his status obviously is different than ours. He is fully God and fully man. We are fully man with God's image placed inside of us. Our status is different, but look at the correlation here. On the sixth day of the week, Pontius Pilate says, here is a man that claims to be God, that has God in him and is God. Here is that man. And on the sixth day of creation is when God says, here is man, and I have placed my image inside of him. Now, on the seventh day of creation, we know that the seventh day of the creation is when God rested. The Bible says that on the seventh day of creation, God rested. On the seventh day of the week in John 20, it says that Jesus was laid to rest in the tomb. And so there on the seventh day, God rested. Jesus is laid to rest in the tomb. On the first day then of creation, what would that be? That would be the beginning of the world that God has set into motion. On the seventh day, he rested. Then the first day of the week would be the, the, the brand new opportunity that is given to Adam and Eve to walk the earth, to multiply, to, to make their world look like God's world, to do what it is that God had called them to do, to work the land, to, 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 to see his creation brought to its fullness. That would be what would happen there on the first day, that man is put to work on the earth to make their world look like God's world. That's what would happen on the first day of creation. On the first day of the week, that is when Jesus is no longer in the tomb. He's now out in the garden. And there, it signifies that that, that day started a brand new creation. Adam and Eve had, had failed. They had given over the keys to Satan. And Jesus Christ himself died, descended into hell, defeated Satan, took those keys back, comes back up into the garden and says, now is the first day of a brand new creation. And who does Jesus look like to Mary Magdalene? He looks like the gardener signifying that he is placing himself back in the garden. He has reign and rule over this area now, and he has given us back this garden, and he has said, now, go again, do what Adam and Eve couldn't do, and make your world look like mine. Go and preach the good news, preach the gospel, love others, love God, do all of these things because I've taken back the keys to the garden, and I've put it back in your hands. That's what he called us to do. Now, certainly we still deal with the consequences of the fall. There's no question of that. But the truth is that there was a brand new creation that was taking place on that day of Jesus's death. And we are called to walk that creation out, which brings us to the third point, which is the mission. Christ calls us into mission. He has saved us from our sins, but he has also saved us out of slavery and into a calling. 
He has saved us into a calling. Now, in Matthew 22, I'm not going to read it, but in Matthew 22, one of the Pharisees was testing Jesus, and he said, what's the greatest commandment of all? And that's what I referenced earlier, is where he says, love God and love others. This is the calling. You would sum up all of the Bible in this and to say, love God and love others. This is it. This is what our calling is. It is to love. And it's more than words. It requires our actions. It requires something from us. And so this is what we've been called to do. Um, and so our, our identity now is placed in the fact that we have a mission and a calling here on earth, that we are to walk out the love that we have experienced. Now, as I was thinking about this and, and, and praying about this, for some reason, um, a, a, a memory came back to me. About 11 years ago, I was in Guatemala, and uh, I, we had gone there to visit uh, a missionary who was living in Guatemala who was supported by Gateway, and we were going to shoot video of what was happening within this village where he, where he was. The village where he was Guatemala had been decimated by a, a civil war and lots of genocide had taken place. And when the war ended, the government took these people who had been wronged by the war. They picked them up in helicopters, took them out to this land and said, here, as a gift, we're giving you this land. The problem was the land was in the middle of, the, of nowhere in the mountains of Guatemala. There were no roads to or from the city, no infrastructure, nothing there. There was, at the time that I was there, no electricity and no running water. And so they, this was the gift that they gave them. Here, take this land. And a missionary from Gateway had gone to this land and began to minister to them. And so I wasn't sure whenever we got there exactly what he was doing in the area, but we arrived and there was a church. And I said, it's so great that you started a church right here in this place. And he said, I didn't start that church. And I said, well, you know, tell me more. What do, you, what do you mean? How come you didn't start that church? And he said, when I got here, I knew that if I just preached the love of Jesus to them, but didn't show them the love of Christ, I wouldn't get anywhere. So he said, instead of telling them about God, I didn't say a word. All I said was, what do you need most? And they said, we need a school. We desperately need a school because if we don't have a school here, then when our, our, we can't send our kids off to, to university in the city, and then they can't come back here. And we know that our society here is going to dwindle if we can't be educated. We need our children to be able to go get a university degree and then come back to this place, and we want to build a city. And so he said, done, I'll start a school. So he started a school. One day they asked him, why are you doing this? Why, why would you do this for us? And he said, I'm doing this for you because God changed my life and his love for me causes me to have love for you. And they started the church. And now the church in that city is thriving and he's obviously a part of it, but he did it because he was willing to show his love for them before he told them about his love. I was thinking back to that moment and and I was thinking of the story of Thomas. People call him Doubting Thomas. And you remember that Thomas said, I won't believe unless I can see him and touch him. And then Jesus shows up and he says, see here. And he shows him his scars. And he says, see here, I, I, I show you this. And, 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 and Thomas believed. And even the Bible says, Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are you because you have seen and believed, but even more blessed will be the people who don't see and believe. And I always thought that was a shame. Like, 
I don't know how to get past that. I don't know how to, how to say to someone in, in my neighborhood who's hurting, well, let me show you the scars of Jesus. Let me, let me, let me just show you the, the bodily form here of Jesus so you can see the scars and then you'll believe. And I was thinking, how unfortunate that that's not something that we can do. And then I remembered a couple things that are in scripture like that we're the body of Christ, meaning that we're the bodily presence of Christ here. We're, we're his hands and his feet here on earth. I remember that Jesus said, now you take up your cross and follow me, meaning do now what I have done. And I thought back to those missionaries in Guatemala, and I remembered how when we were doing an interview with the missionary and his wife, we learned one day that the wife was flying into this city. It was the only way to get in and out of the city, and they had a grass uh, strip that they had mowed where the plane could land. And as the plane was coming down about to land, an animal walked out into the runway. And as the pilot pulled up the plane, trying to recover from almost landing, he clipped a tree and the plane crashed. And everyone except for the missionary's wife in the plane died. She had burns literally all over her body and they flew her back here to the States and she had skin grafts on over 80% of her body. I was thinking back to that moment, I was realizing that she's able to say, look at my scars, touch them. I'm here because I love you and I show my love because I've sacrificed so much. And if we're truly the body of Christ, we as Christians are gonna want, every once in a while have to show our scars. We have to do something that hurts. We might have to love someone who's very difficult to love. We might have to sacrifice something for someone else. We may have to lay down our lives in that way and take up our cross, but that's our way of showing the scars. And when they see your scars, they will believe. You see, your belief is for your salvation, but your works are for your witness. Believe all you want and experience salvation, but do something if you want to be a witness. Holiness is far more about what you do than what you do not do. We've mistaken holiness to say, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. Holiness is all about what you do, how you reach those who are around you. And so I told Gateway, I said, I realized this week, as my dad has been going through all these things, that he lost over 50% of the blood in his body, and it was the, the blood that had been given by people all over the place. It was that blood that had been given that was put into his body that saved his life, and that should make a lot of sense to us as Christians that someone else's blood saves our lives. And so I told Gateway, I said, you know what? I found out that, that all the blood care centers in the area, the time that they're most short on blood is during the summer. And so I said, Gateway, let's show the world our scars. Let's let them draw blood from us and mark ourselves so that the world will know that we love. And I hope and I pray that the whole, out of the whole Metroplex, they never lack for blood in the summer again because Gateway Church decided to make a difference. And so we did that. We started doing a blood drive at each campus. We've done uh, either two or three campuses now. We were hoping to have 300 people donate blood so that we can meet the immediate need in that area. We're only through half of our campuses, and we've already doubled that goal, and 600 people have given blood, which saves over 2,700 lives. And Carter Blood Care Center said... 
They said, we're shipping this blood to other places now because we have more than we could possibly use. You see, we have to bear the marks sometimes. We have to show our scars, and it isn't enough to say that we love the world. It isn't enough for us to keep preaching that to everyone. It's time for the church to stand up and do something about it. And this area, Decatur, is completely different because of what you have done in this community. And we, as a church, need to continue to go out into the community and make a difference. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Lord, right now, I'm recalling the grace that you've had towards me. God, I haven't been easy. Lord, I've made so many mistakes. I've run from you so many times, God, but your grace abounds. You've always called me back. And so, Lord, may we remember those times today. Lord, whether we have to forgive someone in our lives today, Lord, whether we need to reach out to someone that maybe we've been hesitant to reach out to. Lord, whether we need to go to someone and ask for forgiveness. Lord, whether we need to continue to love someone who has been difficult in our lives over and over. God, we reflect on your grace and love for us today. And we ask that you then would give us the grace and peace that we need to go and to minister to those that need you the most. And God, may the church be a beacon of hope in a lost and hurting world because we've chosen to love unconditionally. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.